Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he has revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing in the book of Job. We are going to be reading verses 1 through 7 of chapter 8, and we are introduced to a new character in the story of Job. We've kind of had this back and forth with um, Eliphaz and Job, and now we're introduced to another character, Bildad the Shuhite. And it says, and he responds, this is his initial counsel to Job, which is, in a lot of ways, every bit as unhelpful as Eliphaz. And he says, how long will you go on saying these things? Your words are a blast of wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Since your children sinned against him, he gave them over to their rebellion. But if you earnestly seek God and ask for the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, then he will move even now on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. Then, even if your beginnings were modest, your final days will be full of prosperity. And so we're introduced to a new, new character, Bildad the Shuhite. And much like Job, Hope's other friend, Eliphaz, he comes in making assumptions, as, as John Calvin put it. They all sang one song, and they sang it to death. Bildad's probably um, more severe in his quote-unquote advice than Eliphaz was. Eliphaz kind of came at it from, the pl from a place of experience. This is what I've seen. This is how God has been to me. So surely this is how God is to you. But Bildad had scenes rooted in tradition. And there's a lot that he says in these verses that is the right idea. That a lot of it, it's a, it's a yes but. Does God pervert justice? Is, is God just? We would say yes, of course God is just. Why wouldn't he be just? If, if God is good, then justice flows from that. So of course we would say that God is just. And that's the assumption that undergirds his argument that God does not pervert justice. So Job is experiencing what he is experiencing because God is just. That he, what he is experiencing is the justice of God. 
which implies that Job or his family did something to incur God's wrath. And that assumption just doesn't fit. Because none of this <clears throat> is centered on Job. None of what has has taken place is because Job had it coming. And this is made abundantly clear in the first couple chapters of Job. A man of complete integrity who feareth God and escheweth evil. No one on earth is like him. Right off the bat, there was a certain man named Job, and he was blameless. And so the the logic just doesn't click. That there there's not this linear here. This linear progression does not carry that God's justice for Job's sin is the cause. But once again, we have them referring to God as the Almighty. Um, to put it in Hebrew is El Shaddai, which literally means the overpower. And this is the name of God that is used by Eliphaz. And we have this, this picture articulated to us of God as the right the 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 strong right arm, the overpower. That he is all force. He is all might. Does El Shaddai pervert what is right? On of course, no. But let's nuance that a little bit, because God does not pervert justice, but is what Job is experiencing a product of wrath? And of course, we know the answer to be no. Job it will, throughout this whole book, Job will defend that he did not incur God's wrath, that this is not justice in that sense. God is justified in the freedom of God to be God. But God is not raining down wrath on Job. And so whatever we do with does God pervert justice, we've got to hold that on one hand and hold on the other hand the fact that God is justified when we don't feel he is being just. When we don't feel that this is what we deserve, God is still justified in his sovereignty in his freedom to be who he is. Just as he was free to give grace to the Ninevites when Jonah thought otherwise, so God is free to do what he will. But he does so according to his character, not out of spite, so, of course, God does not pervert justice because it flows from his character. God is good. God is holy. God is perfect. And so he exercises perfect justice. But the affliction of Job is not punishment. And this is something that we'll see time and time again in the book of Job, that sometimes suffering does not equal punishment. And in modern America, that seems to be the idea that when things are hard, it's because it's karma. We reap what we sow. And that actually comes from the Bible in some form or fashion. You know, we see this quite literally in Galatians, that which you sow, you shall also reap. 
and this has been twisted, it's been misunderstood, it's been contorted into something else. That while there's an element where we reap what we sow, I go to, I go to my job, I get paid for the job. But in the same token, God upholds the world. And it's not entirely disconnected from who he is. It's not just, it's not a watch that once you set it, it runs itself. God is actively involved in the affairs of this world. That he's not in a recliner, just kind of hanging out. He is actively governing creation. And as we consider what is what Bildag is wrong here, with assuming that that suffering equals punishment, he does implore Job to go to God. If Job's suffering is a product of sin, then he says, "You earnestly seek God and ask Him for mercy." If you are pure and upright, then he will move even now on your behalf. Again, that's mediator language of of God as intercessor. And it's reminiscent of something in the book of Hosea. If we look at Hosea chapter 6, we have a call to repentance that I think parallels with this a little bit. Hosea is an interesting book to say the least. Um, it's a lot of intense Hebrew poetry and I am not very good at Hebrew but uh, <clears throat> um, Hosea 6 picking up in verse 1 says come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us and he will heal us he has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds he will revive us after two days and on the third day he will raise us up so we can live in his presence let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. And so initially, we have this, this call to repentance because he is torn and he will heal us. And on the surface, that sounds like a good thing. Yeah, this is like a turning point for Israel. But when we read the whole book of Hosea, it's an empty statement. Because they say these things, but they don't actually turn to the Lord. They don't actually do what they say they're going to do. They do not forsake idols. They don't forsake the lawlessness that got them in this mess. Because in this case, God did afflict in response to sin. And their, their statement of calling themselves to repentance was more about fixing the suffering than coming back to God. It wasn't about that relationship with God. It wasn't about this broken communion with the thrice holy God. It was about life is hard now. It was God fix this mess and we will go about our life as, as normal. And that kind of seems reminiscent of what I see in the advice of Bildad that your problems will go away if you just do these check off these boxes. You pray this prayer and your life will get better. 
rather than recognizing that it is God who gives, it is God who takes away. And that whatever he does, he is justified in that. And that I think the better advice would have been to try to help Job see the good. See that God is good. And that God is still in control. He hasn't ceased to be in control. He hasn't ceased to be God in any way. God is still right here. But instead, he goes off of that theory that you've sinned and God is punishing for this. But he goes into that to, if you will repent, if you confess your sins to God, then he will restore everything you had to you. Which is interesting given how this book ends, because Job does get it all back eventually, and more. But the the logic here doesn't line up with that. Because if losing it was not part of a response to Job's sins, then getting it back was not a reward. And so we have a different premise from Bildad in comparison with what God actually does in Job. But again, it's all it's all sound in theory, it just can't be applied to Job. And so Job is exhorted to go to God, to confess his sins to God and be have his stuff restored. So what do, what do we do with this? What do we do with this piece of bad advice? Simply put, we, we recognize that it is the bad advice that it is, but that there is, a, there is a nugget of truth in it. But it also misses reality a little bit. Because while this is all good in theory, it can't be applied here. Yes, God is good. God is just. God does not pervert justice. God restores God makes new. But here, none of this is relevant. What we have is something more akin to Ecclesiastes 7.13, which is perhaps one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But Ecclesiastes 7.13, Solomon states something that's very reminiscent, I think, of Job. And he says, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight that which he hath made crooked? In a very real sense, Job's life has been made crooked by God. <clears throat> and so maybe instead of trying to find solutions and trying to find the escape route, maybe the best thing for us to do when God makes things crooked is to, is to go to our knees and talk to God, not because we wanted to fix our messes, not, not because that's all we want, but because we want God. It's not wrong to go to God to fix our problems, but God is more to us than the solver of our problems. And we, can't, we can't separate those two. That we're not saved by the idea of God, we're saved by God. And so as we consider 
the example of Job of what to do and what not to do we have to wrestle with how am I like Job here how am I like Bildad here how has my take on who God is led to me misrepresenting his character his we can we can take that all the way back to the Ten Commandments. We go to Exodus twenty, and we have, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me." But then he says, "Do not make an idol for yourself, within the shape of anything in the heavens." the earth below or in the waters under the earth do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them for I the Lord your God am a, am a jealous God punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands and I think the substance of that implies that we first know who God is because to make an idol of something other than God, we have to have a baseline. We have to have a starting point. And so the danger is that we create a version of God that better suits what we want him to be. Whether that is in the realm of doctrine, of trying to make God fit into our theological preferences. I, I like him to be in this box that's surrounded by all of my preferred isms to where my isms are never challenged by the text. They're never really in dialogue with the text. The text fits my isms. The text fits in my boxes. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's, it's other things. With Job, we're reminded of how easy it can be to try to make God in our image. To reinvent God a little bit to make reality be what we want it to be. I think Bildad kind of toes the line where are we talking about the same guy? Because you've got the theory down. But this is not relevant. This is not applicable here. And so it seems that you have created a version of God based on tradition, based on experience that has informed how to interact with Job that isn't even based on the facts of the case. Are we so different? How often are we tempted to make God fit our boxes, fit our preferences, fit the story we want to tell? Last week I asked the question, is God bigger than our questions? Of course, he is. I guess here, is God bigger than my boxes? Is God bigger than my ideas of what he should be? Or what he may or may not be? Because who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? God is God. I think Bildad does a disservice to God, does discredit to God in the way that he explains these things so far.
we'll we'll be in and Bildad's uh, words for a while yet. You know, this is only the opening part. But here we have a God who is all justice, all wrath. But somehow mercy fits into that. It 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 doesn't jive. I don't think. But let us earnestly seek God for mercy, who is bigger than Bildad, who is bigger than me. That whatever boxes I may try to fit God into in order to make more sense of him, I run the risk of making a God in my own image in order to answer questions that I want to ask. So let us go to God, who simply is. When Moses made, when God made Himself known to Moses, His name was I Am. It wasn't like a lot of the pagan gods that has this big elaborate title of Maker of Widows or Bringer of Rain. It was I Am. The God who simply is. So let us go to the God who simply is. Who doesn't need our boxes, doesn't need our our theories and our ideas to explain him. God who just simply is. And yet he has been pleased to make himself known to us in very tangible ways. Sometimes that's that's the example of Job. Sometimes that's what we see in Jonah or Hosea with calls to repentance and misguided repentance when their view of God was what he can do for them in the midst of their, their affliction. But consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he hath made crooked? There are times where God makes things crooked, and I think Job is a testament to that. That sometimes things are crooked. Things do not line up the way we want them to go. Life is hard. Life is hard with God. Life is hard without God. Choose your heart. doesn't necessarily make it easier sometimes, but it does make it true. That life is hard. And that doesn't negate the existence of God. That doesn't mean the Bible is wrong about who he is. It just means that things are more complicated than we can fit on a bumper sticker. So this week, let us consider the work of God, who is far bigger and far greater than our theories and our ideas and our boxes, our preferences of what he should or shouldn't be. Let's go to God for who God is. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. 
striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.